Hi, everybody. This is Bob Olson with Afterlife TV. You can find us at afterlifetv.com. This is where we talk about the afterlife. Uh, we look for evidence, and we talk about the meaningful questions, hopefully the meaningful questions. Uh, hopefully I ask those during these interviews uh, that everybody's thinking in terms of the afterlife. Today is a very special uh, conversation, as I like to call them, uh, with an author named Natalie Sudman, who was nearly killed by a roadside bomb in Iraq uh, in her little convoy of four vehicles on the way back to base camp. As a result, she had all kinds of um, consequences, physical, emotional, and spiritual. We're going to focus on the spiritual here, but we'll talk about all three of those. I, uh, this is her first interview ever since writing her book, and uh, I, I'm really grateful that she's doing it here on Afterlife TV. Thank you, Natalie, for being here. Thank you for having me. Ah, well, we're so excited. This is exciting because you have uh, officially, I guess what people would say, have had a near-death experience, and yet I think it went so much further than that. And uh, uh, let's give a little shout-out before we get started to Tom, who made this all happen with the technology. You live in a remote area of Arizona that uh, we tried this once before. It didn't really work. And here you are, thanks to Tom, <laughs> yes. who, who, who allowed us to get together. And, and you're doing it from D.C. now. I want to show your book. This is called Application of Impossible Things by Natalie Sudman. Excellent book. Uh, in fact... I'll, I'll be so honest as to say, we got this book in from your publisher. Uh, I thought, oh, it's kind of a thin book. Uh, there's probably not much substance in there. Oh, no, 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 just the opposite of that. I just had to read a few pages before I was saying to my wife, Melissa, I have got to have her on Afterlife TV. And here we are, finally. I'm so excited about it. All right, uh, let's start actually with the title, Application of Impossible Things. Uh, when, you, when you used that title, when you wrote that title, what were you thinking? What does it mean to you? Well, I think, um, you know, a lot of people consider spiritual things to be sort of separate from, from our daily physical lives or um, a lot of them to be impossible to apply to our physical lives. And... I don't think they are impossible. I think it's really important that um, those those spiritual things, whether it be ideas or ways of being, uh, have to be applied and really are applied, whether we realize it or not. Yeah, yeah, and that really comes through in your book, which is great. And also, you know, it's important to point out. I mean, you come. Well, we're going to talk about your background in a second, but, but you know, you, when you were working in Iraq, for instance, I mean, you're working with a bunch of soldiers, and so you guys aren't probably sitting around talking about spiritual things very often, were you? <laughs> no, I was actually um, working mainly with civilian army. Oh, you were? Okay, civilian uh, army, all right. And was, were officers in the army. Oh, oh okay, all right. <laughs> but no, uh, no, that kind of thing didn't come up. <laughs> You guys, you guys weren't like saging the room to clear yep. the energy. No, none of that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we got a little picture of you here, um, here with President Bush. Why don't we work our way up to that? First of all, what were you doing in Iraq before you were injured? I was hired to administer construction contracts for the Corps of Engineers. So um, I started out, I was kind of on the ground um, making sure that the right things are done at the site and taking care of problems that, are, that came up during the, during the different contracts. And then I, was, I switched over to um, kind of putting together contracts, making sure the money was in place for them and getting them awarded to the contractors and then kind of tracking them on a, on a much more uh, administrative level than I had been earlier. But yeah, that's what I was you're an adventurous type, obviously. Um, originally, you had helped with uh, some of the hurricane um, people who were devastated by the hurricane. Um, why don't you tell us just a little bit about that and how you ended up going to Iraq as a result of it? I worked uh, for the Bureau of Land Management as an archaeologist, and um, in the course of doing that, they the Corps of Engineers put a call out to all 
all government employees asking for volunteers to go down and help clean up Katrina. So I volunteered a couple of times, once in Mississippi and once in Louisiana. And in the course of that, I met some, um, some Corps of Engineers employees and they, they invited me, a friend uh, called me up and one day and said, we've got a job in Iraq if we want, if we want it. Do you want to go? And I said, sure. Hung up the phone and went, yeah. <laughs> okay. That sounds like your personality from what I've got to know. You're kind of like, yeah, and yeah. then think about it later, right? Right. <laughs> okay. Good. I like that. All right. So, so you find yourself in Iraq, and uh, you're actually there for about a year and a half, right? Right. Yeah. And uh, tell us about the particular day in, in question here where something happened, a little catalyst to change your life. Uh, we were, there was four of us uh, that went out in the field to look at some uh, construction projects. We looked at three water projects and then a road project. And uh, I went along because the two of the people didn't know anything about roads. It was under, that was under their jurisdiction. So, and I knew a lot about roads. And the, um, I took along this new guy who had only been in about five or six weeks in country. And so I took him along so he could see the water projects. What's his first name? Jared. Jared, okay. Mm -hmm. So he and I were in one truck, and the two actually Army officers um, that I was helping with the road, they were in a second truck, and then we had a lead truck and a gun truck in our convoy. And we were also, because this province had been turned over to the Iraqis, um, the government had been turned over to the Iraqis, we had to take along an Iraqi police escort. So we had also a police escort with us. Okay. All right. And um, you do your thing, spend the whole day, maybe six hours or something like that while you're out working in... I remember it was probably probably four or five, six hours that we were out, yeah, yeah. visiting sites. And we were just not too far out from base, on our way back to base, when the vehicle that I was traveling in uh, was roadside bomb. Roadside bomb. And um, uh, is that was it? Was it a mine? What was it? Uh, I don't really know. I never. I never really got the. I guess I did get an after report, but they didn't say whether how it was. Uh, how was it? Well, yeah, ignited or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so I don't know if it was a pressure thing or if some. You know they. They set a lot of those off using a cell phone, so it um, could have been detonated in that way. And uh, so you're riding along in the vehicle, and when this goes off, uh, what's that experience like? When it goes off? Yeah, do you even know what's happened? Or? Well, I, I had just, um, I was tired and I was bored, so <laughs> I, I had my arm up on the windowsill and had just closed my eyes and when when it detonated I I don't know what it was like because I went immediately out of my body oh. wow so just like that mm -hmm. and what, what, I loved some of the terminology you use in here uh, and you talk about the blink environment and basically because you blinked and you're in this new environment is that kind of right. the short of it yeah. uh, <laughs> alright so here you are, you're riding along, you're bored, blink, you're, now what's happening? Now I find myself standing on kind of a stage area, maybe 15 or 20 feet wide, and all around me are arrayed just thousands of beings, personalities, whatever you want to call them, spirits, and like thousands of them, and they, I see them as white-robed beings. And I'm standing there in my fatigues, dirty, tan, slouched there, comfortable, and I'm downloading all this information to them that I understood as um, something that I had agreed to do for them before I came into this body. So, um, and it was very, very complex information, but it was all just being sort of, I don't know how to describe it, transferred, you okay. know, as, as abstract or 
um, and just all through thought. All right. All right. So first of all, when you say thousands of beans, are we talking like a stadium of 20,000, like concert hall stadium, that type of thing? Or can you even tell? Or does it just seem to go on infinitely? The way it looks to me, I would say that, yeah, a stadium would be a good visual yeah, yeah. for it. Yeah, because they're kind of arrayed up, you know, all around me. So you're, so, so you're like a rock star here on stage <laughs> in, in front of all these beings. <laughs> and, and, but instantly, you're not confused. You're not wondering what's going on. You know you're there for a purpose. And right away you start downloading this information because that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah, I knew exactly I knew exactly where I was. I knew exactly what I was doing. I didn't have any there was no hesitation, there was no doubt. I mean, now I think I look back on it or I can go back into it and have this sort of separate awareness of how wow, I knew exactly what I was doing. But at that time, I mean, I didn't even think that way. I just did what I did. That kind of gives you the impression, or gives me the impression anyways, um, I'm sure there are people watching who will probably agree, that almost like this was a planned event, like this was meant to be. Well, I, I think it was a planned event. I, I, I mean, look at it. Hold on, I think we lost you there for a second. Start again. Oh, we, we lost your volume. <laughs> Oh, okay. okay. Now you're back. You're back. All right, go ahead. So you think you said you think it was a planned event? Yeah, I think it was a planned event. I think that I planned it quite a long, quite a while ago. Yes. And um, there were little, actually, in the physical world, there were little hints and clues that something was going to happen. Uh, like a, a few weeks before this happened, um, I was I was getting my paperwork ready to extend for another six months and stay there for another six months. But while this was going on, I just felt this strong urge to start packing up my stuff. I was getting, throwing some stuff away and thinking, okay, I need to, I can pack all this stuff here and this stuff here and I need to get a couple of trunks and, and then I'd stop and go, wait, what am, what am I doing? I'm not leaving. <laughs> and I think, um, and there were a few other things, but that's kind of the most obvious. And I think that, um, I think that I was getting messages that I was not paying attention to. You know, when you're working 12 hours a day, seven days a week, <laughs> you're working and you're not, you know, when you get off, you're exhausted and you're not really yeah. tuning into some other things that are going on. Especially when you're planning for a trip of any sort, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going on vacation and I'm, you know, it's just like you, you're trying to do everything you're normally doing, plus you're trying to get ready to go. It's just, it's, it's a little bit crazy. So you're in front of these beings. Aside from this sort of stadium-like experience, you know, what is the environment like? Um, I've heard someone say who had a near-death experience, you know, that really it was, everything was like this black, velvety, you know, environment, yet there was like light within the darkness. Anything like that? That's a perfect description. Really? I think. And I, I've kind of described it as being... Um, what I imagine space to be like, you know, it's it's black, but it's not it's not really dark. <laughs> you know, it's like potential light. As soon as something shows up, it's lit. It's lit up. Uh. So and yeah, velvety feel. I I think that describes it well. I mean, it's not a it's not an intimidating or really um, empty feeling darkness. It's it's a warm, cozy darkness. You know, cut up in the middle of a blizzard, crawl into bed, you know, with this nice fluffy uh, down thing, you know, and nice down pillows and close your eyes. Is that, is that like a scary, empty blackness? No, it's like this really comfortable, cozy, delicious darkness. Oh, that's cool. Um, and these beings that are there, you call them the gathering sometimes, right? The gathering, uh, what are you feeling from them? You're, you're feeling expectation you're feeling you know you know to be cliche but I, I don't think it is uh, you know love unconditional love what you know admiration what are you thinking what are you well, feeling there was definitely admiration admiration <laughs> yeah which which was interesting uh, it's interesting to look at for me now because at the time when I'm standing there 
downloading all this information to them and getting back all this admiration, I was like kind of indifferent to that admiration. I was accepting it, but it didn't really it didn't really mean anything to me. I, I was doing something that I thought was easy. So, you know, I was accepting their admiration, but kind of going, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> and it, as far as, you know, the, the whole ambiance, I mean, I guess people use the term love and unconditional love, but um, that I guess in some ways that doesn't really cover it for me. That sort of, um, it's such a human, we have such human pictures around that. Yeah. And for me, it was, um, I would say that it was a, a complete and total acceptance. And I use in the book um, the word co-passion, meaning not compassion, which kind of, to me, um, gives the feeling of there's kind of a hierarchy in that, that the person feeling compassionate toward the other person often um, also feels sorry for them or there's some kind of pity or something like that. So I use the word co-passion because there was a shared passion for being and um, a complete equality between everyone. Well, it's, well, first of all, it sounds incredible. You know, I wonder too, when, the, when you were feeling that admiration and you were sort of, yeah, whatever, you know, whatever. I mean, uh, I'm not sure I'm deserving of it. You think that's because there's, there's a lack of ego involved? You know, we're so used to dealing with our ego. Be, be hard for, be, I think it would be hard for most of us to be in front of 20,000 people who are admiring us in this way and, you know, not, maybe not go into our heads. Uh, you think it's because you're in spirit and, you know, this lack of ego that we have as human beings? Yeah, I think that that's probably a good explanation of it. Yeah. I felt no, um, I also, there was no, yeah, there was no ego, there was no competition. I mean, I was accepting all this admiration, but in some sense, I felt that same admiration for all of these beings. I mean, we all knew that it was a two-way street and it was, it was respect and approval and acceptance. Each one of these beings, had they all had a human experience? Uh, what was that like? Some of, no, some of them had had a human experience. And in fact, it seemed like some of them were having an, a human experience. At the, at the at simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Oh. That, um, that you know, when you're on that level, you have this ability to focus on way more things than we could even sort of keep track of or imagine maybe yeah. you know in the same way that we walk down the street and we're paying attention to who you know if there's any threats around us or paying thinking about what we're gonna do when we get to where we're going and you know we're paying attention to a lot of different things and they seem to be able to do that same thing on a much broader level yeah yeah, like even, you know, to, to, to meet someone new and you intuitively, at least you think you are, intuitively picking up a bunch of stuff about them, multiply that times a million, and that, that's probably what that experience is like. Um, and you're doing this so, yes, there's a lot of beings, but individually, are you like focusing on one and then another and another, or are you able to sort of focus in on each one all at the same time to get a sense of what they're all like? Yeah, I'm able to do it either way. I, when I'm standing there downloading, I, I have this awareness of, of them all as individuals, and I can tune into any one at any time. And, and um, yeah, it's hard to describe because, you know, we, if we look out at a crowd, we can't, we can't, we can't really connect with each of those individuals as individuals at the same time. Right. But I really had the feeling that I could do that there and was doing that. Or I could really focus in attention on one if I wanted to be, if I wanted to do that. Um, okay. A lot of questions. I'm going to jump around a little bit because so many questions pop into my head. Um, oh, because I, I wanted to go back to the idea of whether they had, as you said, some had, had had human experiences, some had not, some were having them simultaneously at that very time. 
Uh, how about the others? Uh, were they what I might call in the spirit world, in the spiritual world, just hanging out? Um, or were they from other dimensions, uh, like at that time, simultaneously having some kind of in existence, a consciousness or something in another dimension? What was that all like? Um, I would say that some of them were having simultaneous lives in another dimension. And then other, there were some that, I mean, there were some that this was their primary focus. Oh. So that they were, and this, you know, being in this, in this gathering was not necessarily the only thing that they were doing, but that the immediate interests of this gathering were their experience that they were that they were doing at that time. If that makes sense. It does. It does. And I mean, maybe from human terms, we could think of them as students or scientists or something like that. Um, would that be human-like accuracy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, maybe, uh, <laughs> no, Bob, you are so far off. It's, <laughs> this well, interview really. is over. I haven't thought of it that way, but I mean, I don't think we're really that far off because it doesn't hurt to kind of um, find a parallel in the physical world so that people can understand it. And yeah, I mean, you could think of it as scientists or. Uh, yeah, as scientists, I mean, in a way that makes sense, because some of them were, oh, hmm, wow, you know, <laughs> I'm going to have to think about this more. <laughs> hey, that's what, that's what this is all about, asking the meaningful <laughs> questions that maybe you haven't thought of before. Yeah, but as, as far as, you know, what they were doing, there were so many things that they were doing that it's yeah. hard for me to, to sort of group them all together but say there was a group who were um, adept at uh, managing energy flows between dimensions okay so maybe that's more like uh, some kind of a, a manager or an artist even um, and then there were others who maybe were experimenting with how to move energy in this way or that way in this one dimension. And, how, and because there's energy crossovers in dimensions, you know, they were working with this whole group in order to uh, understand implications of this kind of energy movement. Or does that make sense? It does. Uh, but now, now you brought up the question, why don't, they, why don't they all know this? So I'm assuming, you know, I, I tend to, and I'm sure a lot of people do, tend to just assume, oh, you're, you're, you know, you're in the spiritual world, you're somewhat omniscient, or, you know, how can they not know about all this energy stuff already? You know what I mean? So that, I don't know if that makes me feel good or bad, like, oh, they're just playing, they're experimenting here. You well, know. we just, we don't just, uh, you know how when you're a kid you, you think, oh, when I'm an adult, then everything's going to be easy because I can do whatever I want to do. And you get to be an adult and you're like, oh, my God, what's going on? I want to be a kid again. Yeah. It's supposed to stop, you know. I'm supposed to grow up and all this stuff is supposed to stop. Well, um, you know, this being here in the physical is a creative experience. And we are creating while we're experiencing in my understanding, you go to the to the spirit world or the non-physical world, and as above, so below, or as as here, so between, <laughs> wherever that world is, you know. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> we're still creative beings. I mean, as a whole self, we're still a creative being. Do you want to get in the spirit world and okay, I know everything and and. You know, how boring is that? We're still creating out there. We'll still, we're still creating our reality and creating our experience and exploring and expanding. Wonderful. I love that. That's, that's great. I, I, now you can't wait to get there even more. I mean, <laughs> it sounds, no, really. Um, the, these spiritual beings, 
though you said, okay, they're here, they're doing these things, they're even these groups that you talked about that are working with energy in a certain way, that's just one thing that they're doing out of who knows how many, right? Yeah, I think that would be accurate. Yeah, because they can hold a lot of different focus points at once, unlike, you know, on a grand scale compared to us holding, I'm aware of talking to you and of the wind blowing outside and, you know, what's going on with my feet. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So this is neat. Uh, I just want, I also wanted to ask, because I asked about the, the environment, the blackness. Um, I've also heard people talk about, like, this sounds that most people uh, say they can't describe. And I will, I'm going to say this. I have to mention this. This in this book, one of the things that I commented to my wife, Melissa, about was that so many people have had near-death experiences will give the, the, the short answer of, you know, it just, that just can't be described in human terms, whatever, whatever the question may be. I, there's just really no way to describe. You attempt to do that. You attempt to do it, and I love how you do it because you do it, you're very careful about the words you use. So even in this interview so far, We've talked about using, you know, you like to use co-passion instead of compassion, and and you there's words that that you prefer to use over others. Um, I remember when you were talking about the word dimension in the book, you just talked about that wasn't your favorite word. You didn't think it was the most accurate word, and you went through all these other possible words that you could use, and then came back out of the top where so that's why dimension is the best word we have, right? <laughs> you know. I, I, that's the way my, my mind works. I, I, I think it's exciting that you try so hard to describe this. And so uh, now that I put you on the, on the spot, uh, did you hear sound and, and how would you describe that sound? That's another good question because I don't think I talked about that in the book. No. And I don't. I would say that. Yes, I heard sounds. Um, on that level, for me, there was no separation between feeling or visuals and sounds. I mean, all, all of my senses were, in a sense, one sense. If I if I wanted to, I could have looked at all those beings and instead of seeing those beings, I could have heard them as a sound, as individual sounds. Um, I could have tasted them. I could have just felt them. Um, it, it all, it seems like it, all you have to do is choose that through intent. So I didn't hear, I mean, for my, in my experience, one amazing, beautiful sound wasn't a standout characteristic. But then I was focused in a different way. And I think if I, uh, if I had chosen to focus on sound, I could have had this whole experience as sound. Yeah. And it would have been the same experience. Mm -hmm. um the interview that I did, her name was Marvina Meek. She's a cow, cowgirl who got trampled by a horse. Like, the horse fell on top of her. She had this near-death experience. She's the one who talked about the light within the darkness. And, and she, when she talked about sound, she talked about it, it was the best way she could describe it was like when you hear a chime ring, it was like that the end of it, just sort of the end of that chime resonating out there it was the way, best way. I would describe that as the sound of, of creation. Of what? There's sort of a, a sound of creation. Mm. The sound underlying all mm. sound. When mm. I, when, I mean, I can take myself back there and become aware of that, yeah. Mm. It wasn't a standout kind of experience for me. Yeah. The Sound of Creation. Should've, that's your next book. 
That's beautiful. That really is. Um, all right, so I have to stop because I know people are wondering. So you're having these these incredible experiences. You've blinked. You're in the blink environment, as you call it in the book. You're with the gathering. You're downloading all this information. This is information that you gathered from this human lifetime so far, right? Yes. Yeah. And and yet, uh, <laughs> parents and siblings are wondering, did she think of me? You know, uh, <laughs> was she worried? <laughs> Any of that? No. No. Sorry. <laughs> no interest. No interest. I was tired, and I told the gathering that I'm tired. I'm not going to go back. And I had I had no thoughts. Sorry, friends and neighbors and family. I had no thoughts of any of you. I didn't care. I was all left behind, and I didn't I didn't have any interest in it. <laughs> Did you know Tom at that time? Yeah, I did. Oh, great. He's going to come take the computer away. He'll laugh. <laughs> He's like, what? Give me that computer. That's mine. All right. Uh, well, that's interesting. And and is that because, well, okay, so you didn't think of it, but at the same time, I know you can you can go back. You can, like you just did a moment ago. You can go back and you can bring yourself back. Is that because you had a sense that you just knew everything was okay no matter how it happened? You knew everybody was going to be all right? You knew that if you decided to stay there in this uh, in this other realm and not go back into your body, just everything was all, all, all going to be okay. Did you ever have that kind of a sense? Um, I don't think I really thought of it that way uh, necessarily, but I'm, that was underlying it. Okay. And I think if I thought if I felt like that I'd left things undone, or if I felt like somebody would just, you know, their lives would be destroyed if I was, if I chose to go on, which I can't imagine. But um, oh. <laughs> then maybe I would have. Then maybe I, maybe I would have felt more of a pull to go back. I mean, I don't have any kids, and you know, things like that. And and maybe something like that would have, you know, given me more of a pull to go back. But the one thing that you did learn or at least recognize, thanks to this gathering of thousands of beings, was how important your work here really was, right? Well, not just mine, everybody's. Okay. Expand on that. Well, um, Why? A lot of times we think that our lives are small and petty and um, are not very valuable. You know, we're, I'm not as valuable as the person who has control over millions of dollars or I'm not as valuable as the person who runs a country or but it's not true all of our lives are valuable it, it, you know if, if you do nothing more than enjoy your day then you have done something valuable for creation for the all that is God whatever you want to call it um, and just our being here is amazing and everything we do matters. Everything has value. You do touch upon that a little bit about, what was the word that you used? How, how amazing is the word that I remember you using, how amazing humans are, how, how amazing we, how amazing it is, at least you got this sense, um, for us to to have this this human experience because of the skills required the whatever it takes to uh, required to be able to do that you you get a lot of admiration for that alone correct right yeah, yeah. we don't we yeah we don't we don't really realize how amazing and totally cool we are that we can that we can as spirit maintain the focus that it takes to stay in our physical bodies and and work in a physical environment it takes a lot of it takes a special kind of skill and not all spirits or beings have or whole beings or whatever have uh, developed themselves in that direction and so what looked easy to me because I had done it and I knew how to do it and I was pretty good at it it, it didn't look amazing to me because I was you know, I had gotten good enough at it that it wasn't that difficult. But that kind of razor focus that it takes us 
to stay here is a real it's a real high it's a real thrill for for the whole self to be able to do that that's pretty that's cool um did, did you have any sense that you had had other lifetimes? I, I wonder why you were so good at it. Um, at it, like this whole, the gathering of the information that you had and being able to download it to all these beings. Did you have, did you have a sense that maybe you had done this before and and that's why you were good at it, or you just have a natural ability for this? What, did you did you did you find out? Well, yeah, I would. I had a, I had a definite sense that I've done this before, and I've done it a lot. Um, that I had, at, in some sense, I was, I was an ex. I'd become an expert at it, and it, <clears throat> I don't know how to talk about other lives or past lives because, from from that non-physical plane, it doesn't make sense to talk about past lives. Right. You know, because it's, it's it's all one. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, it, that only makes sense if we're if we're totally focused in this physical life to talk about it as past or future but, but other other would make some sense right other uh, another other, life yeah other would make sense i guess yeah okay um i've heard people talk about the folds like because because everything's happening at the same time that sometimes like deja vu might be like some like a fold in time like recognizing Say if you folded the line, because of course it's not linear, but you folded the line of, you know, two lives or the future, even the future and the past. What what we would see is that that deja vu might be that sort of uh, as a result of that fold in time. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Does, <laughs> does that? Because I haven't been there. Does that make any sense to you? Like, what would what would you think having had this experience that deja vu is all about? Well, I guess, um, wow, <laughs> That's, that is hard, that, is, uh, that could take some explaining. Um, okay. I think, okay, my first, uh, I'll see if I can nutshell it. All right. I think that your, your way of um, thinking about a fold makes sense to me, say a fold in energy. I mean, we think of time and space um, as one thing when really there's something else. <laughs> And there's something, they're one strand of something much, much bigger. And it's not set. I mean, we have clocks and we think an hour is this long and space is this. But um, that's not the way it is. And even like Einstein's theory of relativity even touches on that. You know, time is relative to the individual. And so, um, Okay, that's one string. And then I'm going to hop over to something else and see if I can bring them together. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but um, as a whole being, there is no time, of course. So um, in a sense, everything's happening at once. And yet it's not. <laughs> it's happening not linear in a linear way, but in a much more complex way than we think of linear time. So. Um, in my physical body, it may be that my uh, my whole self, for instance, hops ahead to look at something and then hops back through focus, just through focus or intent. Yeah. Okay, yeah. when when that when that hop happens, then there's going to be some interaction between those two points. And so I think it makes it would make sense that then also there's some awareness brought into this physical being of, whoa, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, yeah. I've done this before. Well, yeah, <laughs> you have. <laughs> You've already done it. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that was brilliant. First of all, I mean, wonderful. In fact, uh, and if people liked that explanation, that's what they get a lot of in this book. First of all, um, and that, that was one of the things that I really enjoyed about it. Uh, second of all, I think you were thinking so hard you blew my light. So, <laughs> if I'm in the dark here a little, I could go turn another one on. But who cares? Because 
I think the metaphor of me being in the dark is pretty good, actually. <laughs> and, and look how lit up you are, so that makes a lot of sense. I'm just going to leave it this way. But um, it, we're also wrapping up here, and there was so much more to the story. And I will say that uh, just to give people a sense, because they should go out and get this book, Application of Impossible Things by Natalie Sudman. Uh, the Blink environment is just one environment out of three that you go through. And you also have a rest environment uh, where you go through this another whole experience and a healing environment where you go through this whole experience. There's, there's never enough time um, for, for an experience with this much depth, with this, you know, to, to cover it all in an interview. And so that's okay. I can live with that uh, because you've written it all down. And it would be especially sad if you know, if you hadn't, but you can, and people can get the rest of the information there. Uh, you eventually, the, the thing that I just want to cover before we go, because I find a very important part of your experience, is that one of the things that I gained from your book, and you just tell me if I'm wrong, is that When it comes to, and this is, you know, there's so much to talk about here, we can't do it in five minutes, but one of the things about life, and I'm just going to say this, like, to me, the purpose of life is just to have experiences, good or bad, negative, positive, that's not, it's not even, that doesn't even come into play, it's just to have experiences, and you had this experience um, when you were still in the truck, you, you, you blinked again and you're back in your body. You had chosen to come back into your body and, and you had this, um, you're still sort of, I, in my mind, you're still, you know, you still got one foot there in the other realm. And you had, and, and tell us about this idea of the, you had this thought that you might be blind in one eye and tell us about that little story. Yeah, um, I was, when I came to, we were rolling down the road in the truck, you know, blown up, all kinds of, I won't go into that. Um, so the truck came to a stop and I was, I was trying to look out the window and I realized that I couldn't see out of the eye that my hand had been covering when I took a nap. So the, the first thing that popped into my mind when, when I realized that I couldn't see out of that eye was, excitement I thought Excite wow, I've excitement had, excitement I've never had this happen you know I've never been one-eyed before this could be fun <laughs> and I remembered a dream my uh, when I was in graduate school I had a dream about my grandmother in the dream she was blind she had died a couple years before and she wasn't blind in real life but in the dream she was and she was painting these beautiful pictures in my mind and I I, I asked her Grandma, how can you paint such beautiful pictures in, you, in my mind when you're blind? And as soon as I said it, I thought, oh, it was that. <laughs> she leaned in and she said, Natalie, you don't need eyes to see. And I, so I, here I am, you know, one eye, can't see out of one eye, and I'm thinking of this and I'm excited. I was honestly getting really excited. I thought maybe if I can't see out of this eye, it'll let me see other worlds more clearly. And then, I, then you know, I thought, wow, that's really kind of demented. I want to see out of both eyes, you know, <laughs> snapping back out. But, but that excitement, that was real. That was, that was very, very real. And it, it still informs the way I understand my injuries and how I understand, how I understand the world. I mean, it changed things for me, definitely. So would I be at all correct in saying so, I mean, we could almost think of our souls as having that sort of same sort of excitement for even the negative experiences, what we would consider the negative experiences a lot in our lives. So, you know, our soul saying, you know, wow, I've never had that experience before to have that challenge. That's, yes, was, that's exciting to me. Completely devoid of fear, you know, devoid of all the things I should think, um, devoid of me judging that experience by some, whether it be, you know, a, a, 
a cultural context or a personal context. It was it was just being right in that moment and being excited for that moment and what that moment could hold for me. To me, that is so powerful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to end what we're going to learn about here. I'm going to ask you about your injuries next, but to me, that is just so powerful. It's just, it's just a great way to end this interview. Uh, and I don't think I need to beat it to death. You know what I mean? I think people certainly will get that. Hugely powerful to me. So thank you. I, I think if that was the only thing that I came away with in this book and in this interview, that, that alone could change my life. Um, tell us about... Tell us about what it's been like. Tell us about your injuries to, to first, um, the injuries that, that resulted from this whole thing. Um, I had a shrap some shrapnel broke my right heel. I had a, a bunch of uh, shrapnel in my left leg. My right uh, wrist was broken in the, and both the bones of my arm were shattered. I had um, a hole in my skull here with some shrapnel in the frontal sinus, I had shrapnel in both eyes, lots of cuts and stuff of course, but I also all the bones on this side of my face were broken and I had a skull fracture which I think is redundant. Then <laughs> 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 things like broken teeth, you know, that I had taken a, a quick exit through my face and some other scratches and stuff like that. How about but your eye? The eye, um, at first they just thought it was blunt force trauma injuries other than you know they got the shrapnel tiny little pieces of shrapnel out and that really wasn't a huge problem but the retina had been um, tattered really from the explosion and when the swelling went down in this eye the, the retina detached and they reattached that even though it was all tattered um, but because uh, because there was also a little bit of optic nerve damage, I, that eye doesn't read all the light, and they took the lens out because of all these surgeries, and there is the damage to this part of my face damaged some of the muscles. So now I see not not quite as much light as this eye reads, and it's blurry because there's no lens in it, and it's tilted because of the muscle damage. And they, they did move some muscles around and, and fix that a little bit, but they can't fix it entirely. So I kind of have double vision. Yeah. And, you know, how, how about emotionally after that? You know, have you, had, have you had emotional kind of reactions since then? I, you know, everybody talks about P, PTSD. Have you, have you experienced that sort of a thing? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting to me. Um, I didn't experience any PTSD symptoms until I got out of the hospital. And then they were, um, they were mainly sort of physical reaction things. Like I would, if I walked outside, I was, um, think, I was running scenarios through my mind all the time. What, anything could happen anything. Mm. You know, I'm thinking, okay, what if, a, what if a car jumps the curb, or what if that tree falls down on me, or what if uh, there's a sniper on the roof, what if, you know, I was running through all the things that, um, that could possibly happen, I mean, that could not even probably possibly happen, you know, a satellite could fall out of the sky and slam into me, I mean, I <laughs> honestly, and I, I, I've talked to other soldiers and they understand this, Yeah. anything could happen. Yeah. And, and walking by a piece of garbage on the road, I would walk to the other side of the road and go around it because that garbage could blow up. Ah. So I did. I mean, it, seems, it probably seems like I shouldn't have PTSD symptoms after having this experience, but I do. I do. And I still do. They're different now, but I still do have them. How do you, how do, you deal with them? Um, I'm sure some days are better than others, right? Yeah, some days are better than others. And I kind of, I did a lot of sort of uh, work on my own that probably psychiatrists or psychologists do with other people. You know, I started, when I'd see that trash by the side of the road, I would walk right up to it. I would make myself walk right up to it. And honestly, sometimes shaking and sweating. I would walk up to it, I would touch it, I would pick it up, I would hold it, and I would look around and say, I'm here. And then I'd set it back down and 
And I did that kind of thing over and over. Or I'd sit on the couch and go, oh, you know, a tree could fall through, fall through the ceiling right now or the, the gas line could blow up. And then I'd stop myself and say, is it likely that the gas line is going to blow up? Probably not. You can go down and check it if you want to. You know, and I just kind of slowly worked my work those kind of things out of my system. Now uh, they're different things, like I said. So you certainly haven't come out of this unscathed, and 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 yet, um, how do you feel about life? Are you glad you came back into your body? Yeah, it's fun. I mean, even with all of this, even you know, sometimes even when I'm in the midst of a shaking, you know, ah, kind of. PTSD experience, I there's a part of me that's still standing back and kind of giggling and going, well, I've never done this before. You know, this is new. Yeah, yeah. Even yeah. even interviews. I mean, I've told you that interviews make me really nervous, and part of that is the PTSD. Yeah. It you know, I've got all these scenarios running through my mind, and and um, but even even within that. There's a part of me giggling in, you know, giggling in the back room, going, hmm, "This is, this is different." <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Well, I think it's great, and I think you're a great example and an inspiration to so many of us. Um, I was going to show a couple pictures from the book, but my light has gone, so I'd be surprised if anybody could really see those. Um, I guess we can try. Now that I mentioned it, I go and mention that. Um, I don't know if you can see that, but that's her and her fatigues. And then there was another one on the next page. You're getting, a, this is when you're getting an award, right? Yeah. The civilian version of the Purple Heart, is that correct? Yeah. What's that called? The Defense of Freedom Medal. Wow, that's quite an honor. Um, and it's been quite an honor to have you here. And I, I, honestly, I can't thank you enough, uh, for, first of all, for your patience with the technological issues that we were able to overcome. We overcame. Yeah. And to tell your story and share it with everybody, it's been absolutely amazing. I know that uh, you don't have anything to, I asked you in the last interview that we couldn't show, uh, you don't have anything to, anything to promote other than the book, Application of Impossible Things by Natalie Sudman. Thank you so much, and I, I just wish you the very best. Thank you, Bob. Bye now. Bye.